Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I'm Melissa Jezior, your host. On this podcast, I talk to top culture makers in the world today to impact the visible and not so visible forces that often make up this overlooked superpower of organizations. In season three of Cultured, we're featuring change makers from the arts industry. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Paul Siefkin, president and CEO, Fred Rogers Production. This production company builds on the legacy of Fred Rogers by creating quality programming for children that encourages enthusiasm for learning. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Melissa. Uh, thank you so Hi. much for having me today. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to learn more about Fred Rogers, especially since Fred Rogers is the icon so many of us grew up watching. In fact, I feel like I probably have to refer to him as Mr. Rogers. So tell us, what in your mind is so special about Fred Rogers? And how do you embed those qualities in the culture and in the work that you're doing? Well, I, I'm glad that you're starting with an easy question. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what is so special about Fred? Uh, it is a big question because he was special in, in so many ways. For me, I, I think what strikes me about Fred was that he was just this extraordinary talent. A lot of, has been said about Fred and his approach to kindness and neighborliness and all of that is absolutely true. But when you're at the production company that he founded, I think that we look a lot at the talent that he brought to his work. When you think about it, he was a writer, he was mm -hmm. a composer, he was a musician, and he was an actor and a puppeteer. On top of that, he was a child development expert. He was a Presbyterian minister. And I like to think of him as a philosopher. And I think the thing that indeed he was most proud of was being a good neighbor, right? So he was a very complex man with a lot of talents. And what we're able to do when we think of him in that way is realize that he made a choice, right? And the choice that he made was to take his talent and to use it for the benefit of young children. And so when we see that, when we look at it in that way, Kind of our, our course forward is fairly clear. We should do what he did, right? We should make that conscious choice to bring the talent of every individual at the organization to the benefit of children and families. And you know, another thing that I think he was so kind of wise about was that in the late uh, mid '60s, early uh, late '60s. He recognized that television was an extremely powerful medium, right? That he wanted to use it to sort of model life lessons for children. And I, the way that he put it is, is to, to show them what the good in life is all about. And that he respected the power of television to sort of influence people. And you know, it, it, when he was inducted in the Television Hall of Fame, he essentially asked the other people in the television industry and in the audience there to join him in making that choice to make quality television that people can see the good side of life rather than the bad. So fast forward to 2021, and if television was a powerful medium when he started, the media in general is exponentially more powerful. And so we want to continue to use the power that media has to help children. And we do that by working with incredibly talented people and working with the people who choose and bring their talents to making the highest quality content for kids. 
So it's funny listening to that list of Fred Rogers talents. It suddenly makes me feel like I probably need to step it up in my own life. I feel. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, that's that's an incredible list of talent. The other thing that really resonated or struck me with what you had just talked about was it sounds you know, there's so much discussion in in today's world about what resonates with employees is being purpose driven and working for purpose driven organizations. And that's really something that I think came through, at least in listening to you, came through to me, is it sounds like Fred Rogers production company is very purpose-driven. I think so. And, you know, I, I certainly try to encourage and you know, repeat to our staff and my colleagues how important the mission of our organization is. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's it's proven out through the incredible work and the actions that, that they do every day to make sure that we're respecting our audience enough to give them our very best. Paul, I also understand in your leadership that Fred Rogers Productions has experienced tremendous growth and has earned a national reputation for innovative storytelling. So how do you innovate on the work of an icon and how have you been so successful in this growth? Well, thank you for the comment. We like to think of ourselves as uh, individual storytellers. And, you know, again, you know, I talked about Fred's talent, you know, he was the creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He had a very clear vision for what that program was going to be. And then he pulled together this amazing team of people to help to bring his vision to life. So what is our mission? What is our task in terms of building on that legacy? Well, I think that what we've tried to do is not say our our mission is to try to replicate what Fred did. That was Fred's vision. So what we do is try to start with the vision of highly creative people and do what we can to bring that vision to life. You know, an example of that is uh, our new series that's premiering in October, in fact, premiering October 4th on PBS Kids at 8.30 a.m. And that is a show called Alma's Way. And it was created by a woman named Sonia Manzano. Many people know Sonia as Maria from Sesame Street. So Sonia had this real vision for what she wanted to do. And that was that she wanted to show children that they have a mind and that they can use it. That was her vision. How do we do that? And she had come up with a a main character uh, whose name was Alma, who grew up in the Bronx, just like Sonia did, and who was learning how to make decisions for herself. So that was her vision. How can we show kids how to practice making decisions for themselves through the life of this young girl who looks a lot like I looked when uh, I grew up in the Bronx, speaking for Sonia here. And that's the vision that we took with her and we the team around her to make sure that that vision was executed. So Sonia is not Fred. Sonia has a very different vision. She has a, she's a very different talent, but her goal is to help children to navigate the world. And so in that way, you know, she's just like Fred. Now we can say the same thing about Jennifer Oxley and Billy Aronson, who were the creators of Peg Plus Cat, or Angela Santomero, who is the creator of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, or Lon Doherty, who created Through the Woods, Tim McKeown and Adam Peltzman, who created Odd Squad, Adam and David Rutman, who 
work with us to create Don Quixote. Those are the visionaries, and our job is to make sure that we can surround them with the team to make sure that we can execute and, and create the, the program and the, the content that uh, kind of fulfills their vision. So that's that's kind of our approach to really support the people who have a clear vision for how they want to reach kids. How do you build the culture around the visionaries that enables you to be so successful? Well, I think it's a lot about relationship building, about building trust. So, you know, I can I can use Sonia again as an example. I had met Sonia a couple of times. I think that Helen Doherty, our chief creative officer, had as well. But when we were kind of matched up and we we, we heard her, her idea, um, there was a period of time when we had to kind of get to know each other to uh, to build trust and and then to build the team that worked best for the program that she wanted to make so you know it, it involves finding the right head writer it involves finding the right educational advisors it involves uh, finding the right production team uh, animation team you know it's building that team so that they're all sort of on the same page and it takes a long time you know, when, again, I'm talking about Alma's Way, we first started working with Sonia five years ago, and that show now finally premieres next month. So, you know, you need to have the patience and the time to uh, build on that trust. So one thing that kind of s- struck me as well, and we've been talking about uh, Fred Rogers' vision around using all his talents for children. And from what I understand, you say at Fred Rogers' production that children come first now and always. So I'm interested because I'm guessing your workforce is not comprised of children, but adults. So how do you serve an audience that isn't represented in your workforce? Yeah, let, let me reiterate and make it very clear that we don't employ children. At <laughs> good, good to know. Good to right. know. Uh, but it is an interesting question. Fred had a quote that he liked to say. He said, uh, the child is in me still and sometimes not so still which I, I thought was a great way of sort of capturing the sort of energy of childhood. You know, I, another person that I like, I, I've, I've read a lot about, and you know, I grew up watching all of his work was uh, Jim Henson. And he had a quote that was that the most sophisticated people that he knows inside, they're all children. And so, you know, I think that when you're doing work for children, we look for people who have kind of a childlike quality on top of, of course, patients for their particular position. But you know, w- w- during the interview process, I will ask new employees, do they like, do they watch children's television? What's their favorite? Which is a perfectly expected question if I'm talking to a production person, but maybe, maybe not for an accountant, but I ask accountants as well, uh, because we want people to understand that this is what we do and we want everybody to be interested and involved. So we try to foster that. We have before the pandemic, but also during, we try to do regular screening for all of the staff, and not just of our work, but of other people's work so that we get to have a feel for the industry that we work in, the messages that children are getting, and remind people that uh, in the midst of all the hard work that we're doing, uh, at the end of the day, it's pretty important to sit down and watch some kids' TV. I think that there is nothing more powerful than a child's curiosity and enthusiasm. So if we can find that that kind of curiosity and enthusiasm in um, our workforce, that's 
incredibly beneficial. You know, when you think about kids, they ask big questions, right? Uh, and so we're looking for people who are willing to explore those kind of big questions so that kids can say, you know, here's an organization that like thinks big like me. Uh, so what kind of big questions am I talking about? You know, why is the sky blue? Why is water wet, right? Those seem like pretty simple questions. They're the kind of questions that kids have. Mm-hmm. But they're super complicated questions. And if you've ever been a parent driving a car with a three-year-old in the back seat and they ask you that question, you might chuckle and say, oh, that's such a kid question. And then you try to answer it and you realize. <laughs> and you can't. <laughs> that's a really tough one. So yeah, let's appreciate that. And how can we uh, think like children? Because that kind of energy can really kind of supercharge uh, somebody's work. Again, whether they're in production or they're in marketing or they're in finance. The other part of, particularly for production, but also for our outreach and, and marketing, is that we don't you know, sort of just trust our instincts on this. You also don't trust your sort of memory of, I remember when I was a kid, we have a whole team of child development experts that we work with, different child development experts for different pro- projects, and we check because, you know, you may believe that you remember what it was like to be three or four years old, but I'm here to tell you that you don't. So when we're able to work with advisors who are experts in the field of child development, and they're able to remind us of the abilities and the thought processes of a three-year-old versus a four-year-old versus a five-year-old versus a six-year-old, that's extremely helpful in what we do. So. Uh, we value that expertise uh, in the, really in the same way that Fred did. He trusted his teacher in child development, Margaret McFarland, for his entire career. He, he, would, he would sit with her and go over scripts and ask questions. And, and we do that same thing now to make sure that we're getting it right. Now, one thing we talk to our clients about a lot is the importance of not just saying someone is a cultural fit, but understanding what makes up your culture. So It sounds very much like you're doing what we often coach our clients on, which is understanding the importance of, for example, the being childlike yourself or having childlike qualities and understanding the importance of that so much so that you not only ask some of your quote unquote frontline staff, but also folks like your accountants and things like that. So it does become part of your culture. So I love that. I think that's what creates part of the culture is when you find people with common qualities or common traits uh, that you all share and build the organization around that. Well, thank you. One of the things that I have found, and I even remember watching or seeing as an adult, is a clip of Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens, played by uh, the Black actor Francois Clemens, placing their feet in the wading pool together. Back in 1969, I believe is when it was aired, um, and it was during a lot of civil unrest over pool segregation policies in the U.S. So, I'm curious, like this is, you know, clearly such a simple way to make a statement, a yet powerful way to make a statement to both children and adults. And so I'm curious, given the where we currently are in our, in our nation uh, amidst COVID and Black Lives Matter and highly charged political discourse, how are you and your organization going through the process of figuring out what issues you address and, and how you address them? That's a wonderful question. And, uh, yeah, you did a really great job actually putting that moment from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood into context. You know, Fred was responding to such kind of an unbelievably dehumanizing practice that was going on throughout the country. The issue of segregated swing pools was not just a thing in the South, it happened everywhere. 
happened here in Pittsburgh. And it also was something that was extremely impactful for children and families. It was something that they experienced in a very real way. And it was kind of visceral. And so for him to take that on um, so kind of elegantly, there's a reason why that's an iconic moment. The past 18 months to two years, there's been a lot of complexity to uh, the challenges that have been going on with the pandemic, with the, the social unrest around George Floyd's murder and, and the growth of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's something that's been tough for young children to, to really understand in the midst of also kind of an historic uh, presidential election. So when we think about how to address those issues, I think that you can have both a short-term and a long-term approach. You know, when you're dealing with animation, sometimes it's pretty difficult to be topical because the animation cycle is a long time to go from you know, idea and script all the way to the product. But in the short term, in the midst of the pandemic, we've done a number of things. Last August, we, we kind of stopped production on one of our programs, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and we produced a special um, that was called Won't You Sing Along With Me? And that was one hour. It was kind of a compilation of previous episodes, but also some original animation that sort of depicted Daniel Tiger struggling with not being able to gather with his friends to go to school, to do all the things that children at home were experiencing. And we applied a number of the strategies from that program that had existed for years directly to you know, issues that were front and center because of the pandemic. So we hurried that to broadcast in partnership with PBS. And it was extremely well-received, which made us think that it was uh, something that was really needed. In that month of August, in terms of streaming video, and that's uh, free streaming video through PBS, uh, Daniel Tiger was streamed uh, 80 million times in the month of August. We also participated uh, last October in a PBS special that was titled PBS Parents Talks About Race and Racism. It was a, a really innovative idea to essentially have families on set and having the family on camera watch along with you a scene from a PBS Kids episode. It started with a scene from a Daniel Tiger episode where the sort of strategy of that episode was in some ways we are different, but in so many ways we are the same. And in that episode, we worked very hard to sort of play out the way that preschoolers notice differences among each other. And they are, they're very matter of fact about it. They will compare each other's hair or clothes or skin tone or that's just the natural way the kids look at that. And in that episode, they actually, you know, there's a number of scenes where we have Daniel comparing the fur on his hands to Miss Elena's skin. And then in that special, they cut to the families doing the same thing and talking about the differences in skin tone and, and what that means, uh, that we're all different. But then again, talking about how we're mostly the same. And that is kind of the level that is understandable for preschoolers and is also very impactful to let them know that it's okay to notice, notice differences. You know, what, what didn't come up in that, but that special was one and Emmy. It was uh, brilliantly done. We were happy to be a part of it. I, I'll, I'll throw in another, you know, Fred, one of Fred's favorite sayings uh, was a Quaker saying, and it was that attitudes are caught, not taught. And that, that kind of is, is you take that to heart 
we use the word model in our mission, not teach. Brad never saw himself as a teacher. We don't believe we're teaching kids, but through the actions of our characters, we're modeling for them uh, how to be excited about learning and exploring the world. And uh, we hope that we can uh, also model for parents how they can interact with their children uh, in a way that helps them understand the world and the differences in the world a little better. Some other things that we did during the pandemic, you know, public television, we're lucky enough to work with PBS, but PBS is a collection of independent public television stations all around the country. And uh, years ago, we started something called Be My Neighbor Day. And the premise was this. If we were to bring Daniel Tiger, costume character, to your station and, and provide a grant, we, we partnered with uh, PNC Growth Great to do this for years now, what event would you throw that was free for the children and families in your community to come and meet Daniel Tiger? And while they were there, how could you expose them to the opportunities in your community for them to get involved in their neighborhood? How can you teach kids that they can make a difference in the community that they live in? And one of the requirements is you need to partner with your organization. You can't just do this yourself. So that's the charge. And with 350 different public television stations around the country, we've been doing about 40 of these a year. Um, and everyone is different because stations are now being empowered to reach out to their community and address the issues or challenges of their community and attach them to Daniel Tiger. So during the last year, we haven't been able to go into communities in the way that we have in the past. However, we've done a lot of virtual visits with Daniel and we also had families drop off food and clothing and school supplies and uh, we might have Daniel Tiger there waving his mask on because we made masks for all of our costume characters so that kids could still get that sense of contributing to their community and contributing to their community as inspired by Daniel Tiger. You know, th those are some of the immediate things that we've tried to do. Longer term, we found that a lot of the issues that we come up with in our regular programs are both timeless and timely, right? The show that we launched in May, Don Quixote, its core learning goal is to model resilience for young children. Now, we came up with that concept five years ago because resilience has always been important for young children. If they're going to be you know, entering school kind of ready to learn. Um, in fact, most teachers feel that things like resilience and um, self-regulation and executive function skills are more important than literacy and math for three and four-year-olds who are about to go into kindergarten. But how much more important is resilience now for kids? Because they're having to overcome enormous obstacles having been separated from one another, from schools, from learning, from teachers, from friends. And so however we can model through the stories of Don Quixote, some of the ideas of setting goals and overcoming challenges and dealing with failure and um, persisting when things fall apart, you know, the better. And doing so with a positive attitude and, you know, having fun along the way, giving them songs to sing about resilience that lets them feel like the challenges ahead of them are doable and empowers them to kind of move forward. So I know that's a really long answer, but, you know, clearly we're really invested in trying to make sure that children are receiving the tools that 
we can provide in the midst of you know, really, really tough time. So resilience, I think, is also something that's so important, not only within our children today, but I think important even in the workforce. Is resilience uh, something that you all talk about as well in the workforce and use some of the concepts that you talk about in your programming in your workforce or reinforcing in your workforce itself? It is. You know, one of the mantras that we have from Don Quixote is we can do hard things. And we'll repeat that sometimes. You know, remember what Don Quixote says, you know, we can do hard things. I think I might even use that this afternoon. We can do hard things. I have a team that I was just talking about yesterday. We we have a challenge on our hands. And so I love that. I love, yes, we it is going to be hard. And oftentimes it's hard to overcome a challenge, but we that's what part of being, hu the great thing about being human, like you're saying, is being able to use our brains to figure it out. Yeah, and that's empowering, right? To, uh, to, to say those we statements, those empowering statements, and to make them simple, right? And, uh, you know, if we're, again, if we're going to, encourage children to have that kind of confidence and that positive attitude we should have ourselves. So I understand the core values of your organization are respect, thoughtfulness, difference, and craft. And I think that's such a great combination of being simple, but also very relatable. So how, how do you, how do you use these core values and how do they show up in, in your, in your daily work at your organization? So the core values were the result of you know, a, a group of the you know, leadership team from all of our different departments sitting down and really digging deep on um, what drives us as an organization. And when we came up with those four, um, we felt that they, uh, each of them apply in two ways, to the audience that we serve, but also uh, to the way that we work with one another. We want to make sure that we are bringing the very best of the best to the kids that we're serving and that we want to have pride in our work. So we don't, we don't skimp on, on quality. So how do, how do I incorporate that into day-to-day -day work? Well, at the end of every week during pandemic, I send out an update every Friday afternoon that started off as an update on where are we in the COVID world. Uh, and it's interesting to look back at that back in March of 2020, I think my updates were, you know, we expect to be back in the office in three weeks. And uh, and now, 18 months later, the updates are. So status as usual, we're still going to be working from home. But, but then I took that time to kind of give shout outs to all of the incredible work that I, different individuals did that week and tied it to those core values. So examples of how, um, you know, a certain employee showed respect for another employee or for the audience and have also tied that to sort of our goals for the year in terms of, you know, if it can be a metric, it's, you know, our monthly staff meetings, making sure that we are highlighting how we are executing on our core values on a regular basis, month by month. And just the virtue of sort of checking in on that and, and looking to see how through different departments, how we can see examples is uplifting for people, and uh, and it helps them to embrace the core values and, and want to kind of be recognized for, for how they're living out those core values in their daily work. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in core values, and so important, I think, to do just like you're talking about to continually reinforce them because I feel like if you don't talk about them and reinforce them, then they 
they are only what they are on paper. So I think it's so important to continue to reiterate why they are your core values. So it sounds like collaboration with partners is a big part of your business strategy. And I imagine it's important for partners to align with the vision that you're talking about and the, the culture that you have. So how do you attempt to ensure a culture fit of your partners before entering into partnership? Well, I think folks might be surprised because of the long history that we have, but there really is no sort of Rogers Productions way of doing it. And so, you know, different shows feature different partnerships and they call for different ways of doing things, which maybe goes back to one of our core values of differences. And so this kind of goes back to what we talked about before, sort of honoring the talent that we're working with and the talents that people bring to work. And, uh, you know, identifying when people are making choices, embracing those choices. So a lot of the folks that we work with programs, you know, most of their work has been in kind of commercial kids media, right? Um, And uh, and they've done wonderful work in commercial kids media. But we want to make sure that they know that sort of the door is open for when they want to do something that's particularly educational that is really kind of a particular value to kids that they can make that choice and then choose us to work with because we're here to empower their vision with kind of our our passion for that kind of content. And so we're here to match them with advisors that are gonna make the most of their work. We're here to help with research and and development uh, to make sure that it's refined and it can have the, the, biggest impact that we possibly can. That said, I'll go back to sort of expectations of our organization. Um, I think sometimes people are uh, relieved when they meet us and they're like, oh, you want things to be funny? Oh, good. I wasn't sure you wanted you wanted us to have fun. And, and we're all about like funny content for kids. Uh, it, that's extremely important. And the way I explain that to folks who sometimes raise an eyebrow, oh, you dare to be funny, uh, is first of all, Fred was a very funny guy. But second of all, I mean, when you think back at the best teachers that you ever had, generally, those are the ones who are most entertaining. They were the most engaging. They were the most fun. So a couple of final questions we ask all of our guests. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you think of culture? This is going to sound corny, but I really believe it. I think... Uh, mission and values uh, would drive culture. Great. And if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Listening. <laughs> oh, you, tell listener. me more. So I, I was um, introduced to an acronym that maybe has been around for a long time, but uh, uh, it resonated with me, and that's WAIT, W-A-I-T, which stands for Why Am I Talking? Uh, and Wait, what, it, what does it stand for? Say that one more time, please. W-A-I-T, it stands for why am I talking? Oh, why am I talking? Got it. And so, uh, you know, bringing that acronym to you, uh, to to any meeting that you're in, particularly if you're in a leadership position, is important. Uh, because if you're asking yourself, why am I talking? You maybe remember that it's more important to listen. Now, when I share that with other people, and again, this was shared with me from an outside organization, I think it's been around for a while, but the other part of WAIT for those who maybe don't participate sometimes is to ask themselves, why aren't I talking? 
And, you know, so depending on what your role is often in meetings um, to think about that acronym weight, that's really resonated with me. But, you know, for me, uh, listening would be a great, it is a great superpower. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, when, when you get experience over years of doing the same thing, sometimes you are tempted to jump in with the solution and sometimes even before you hear the problem. And uh, so the most important thing, I think, is to listen to the challenges that individuals have uh, in your organization and, you know, provide them feedback that can help them come to a solution. You know, that's not a bad superpower when you have a family. I, uh, I, I try very hard to remember to, to listen. I have uh, a daughter who's 17 and a daughter who's 19, and uh, they're not so interested in dad fixing their lot. <laughs> um, but sometimes they just want dad to listen. And uh, so that, that's a great superpower, I think. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for all your insights today. I really have enjoyed learning more about your story and learning more about the, the Fred Rogers production company. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to our Cultured Podcast. If you like the show and want to learn more, check out our Cultured website, culturedcast.com. And please follow us on iTunes. If you'd like to know more about our research, visit eaglehillconsulting.com slash culture.